Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good episode. I'm going to show people the way the structural problems with the Constitution and interpreting it, which exist in all contracts, makes a situation such that nobody can know what it really means, and there'd be no way to ever draft a document to do what they claim. It's complete impossibility. Not just because they probably didn't intend to do it, but it's just legally, as a matter of practicality and legal principle, it's not possible. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell them truth, hard truths, truths most people can't accept. And one of the truths is that I was a constitutional conservative for years and years and years, believed all this nonsense about the brilliance of the document and the founders and the rights and the express power and the limitations and all this stupid shit they say. And then about 25 years ago, I got the Internet. And in fairly short order, I figured out I'd been scammed. I've been conned. The whole thing's a lie. It's a way to keep me on the taxpaying plantation. And these constitutional conservatives and media and government and academia are grifters. They are controlled opposition. They are not on the side of freedom. They do not tell people the truth, period. That's all there is to it. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner because I didn't need their bullshit anymore. I've also given myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for all the fantastic work I've done here on this podcast. And I think I may give myself the Medal of Freedom Award here shortly after the movie comes out. I think I've earned that as well. I'd like to give myself that. <laughs> all right, enough fooling around. Let's go ahead and get this show going. So I want to make a show today about the fact that the structural problems with having a so-called constitution like we have are what create all of these problems that you see. It's not a matter of having the wrong people and bad people and getting the vote out. And I want to give you some examples of going through just some of the document, a small amount of the document, so you can have a better idea of how the analysis is always the same. It doesn't matter if it's the Commerce Clause. It doesn't matter if it's gay marriage. It doesn't matter if it's the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. It doesn't matter if it's general welfare or the spending power. And it doesn't matter if it's the Second Amendment shall not be infringed. It doesn't matter. The problems I'm going to describe to you and explain to you with regards to the way legal documents, legal interpretations occur always exist, and they would have existed at the time that the stupid thing was written and that people were supposedly ratifying it. It's all just a complete impossibility because it's totally impossible to ever ratify this document in any kind of legal sense because there's absolutely no way to know what the document is, means, says, is going to do in any form or fashion, and yet it purports to be a document creating a limited government with express powers. That's what we're told over and over and over and over and over and over that it's this fantastically brilliant document that creates this limited government that protects our rights and all this other crap that the Conicons talk about and the brilliance of the founders and all this other shit. None of that's true. See, none of that's true. And in fact, there's no way to create a governmental system that's even remotely like the one we supposedly have and have it be anything but a laughable joke. I know that rubs people the wrong way because they're so unbelievably brainwashed about the brilliance. But we're told that the Supreme Court is the law of the land. 
And I've shown that it's clearly not. And in fact, in the next episode, I'm going to do a couple of chat GPTs I did, and one of which shows that, of course, the Supreme Court doesn't have this ridiculous power. Because if it had this power to somehow create law like that, then there'd be absolutely no way to know what the law supposedly was going to be. But the problem's even deeper. There's no way to know what the law is ever going to be in a situation like this, where you create a document that then has these things that have to be interpreted. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a simple example with the Interstate Commerce Clause. The Interstate Commerce Clause says that the federal government has the power to regulate commerce among the several states. (laughs) Okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be among the states? Can you regulate something that doesn't go outside the state at all? What if I build one of the parts and then that part goes into something else that then gets shipped out of state? Is that regulating commerce among the several states? Is it? What would be the test that you'd use? What does it mean to regulate commerce? Any and everything that affects it in any way? What would it mean? I gave you Wickard v. Filburn in the past. This is a case in the 1930s where the Supreme Court ruled that when a farmer grows grain on his own farm, feeds it to his own animals, that that conduct can be regulated through this interstate commerce clause. And you ask, how? How can that be? How could you get anything less interstate commerce-y than that? Well, here's the reasoning. The reasoning was that if he had not done that, if he had not grown his own grain, he would have had to purchase grain. And if he purchased grain, he might have purchased grain that could have traveled in interstate commerce. And therefore, by growing his own grain, he has affected interstate commerce. Okay, well, it says they're allowed to regulate it. Are you allowed to regulate anything that affects it? (laughs) Well, like I said, there's no way to know. But these issues are always going to come up. See, they're always going to come up. What does it mean that they can make all laws that are necessary and proper to carry out the previously stated express grants of authority? What does that mean, necessary and proper? Is it essential laws? Just something that facilitates it? Think of the huge difference between those two definitions. And even once you start getting definitions inside there, what does it mean to be essential? What does it mean to facilitate? (laughs) You see, it's totally impossible. There's absolutely no way to know. Is there anything in the Constitution that instructs the Supreme Court about how to do any of this? No, there's nothing at all in there. See, so you've got an endless series like this. They have a Second Amendment that says it shall not be infringed. Well, it's infringed all the time. How? Because they dream up three-part tests and infringement this and a military application that. It just never stops. See, that's going to be every single time in every single case. They dream up three and four-pronged tests. And one of the interstate interstate commerce tests, just one of them, is that the test is based on four factors. The effect of the law or regulation on interstate commerce— (laughs) the burden imposed on interstate commerce, the impact of the law or regulation on competitive conditions, and whether the statute or regulation is necessary to serve a legitimate government interest. Let's just look at that one. And that is not all of the tests that would exist in interstate commerce. But just look at it. Four-pronged test. 
the effect of the law or regulation on interstate commerce. What does that mean, the effect? What does it mean? It could mean anything. The burden imposed on interstate commerce. Okay, inside there, you're going to have all sorts of additional ones, see? You're going to have whether it's a severe burden or a lesser burden or it's no burden. Again, complete and total Barnum statements that no one's going to be able to agree to. The judges can't even agree to it. And this four-pronged test is completely and totally made up. Who says this is the proper test? Who says? Nobody says. It's made up. The court said it. The impact of the law or regulation on competitive conditions. Look at all that. The impact. They can just say it's a minor impact, a major impact, a medium impact. They can redefine impact. Competitive conditions. What is that? That could be anything. <laughs> what does it mean? And the last one, and whether statute or regulation is necessary to serve a legitimate government interest. Look at that. Necessary. What does it mean to be necessary? Does it mean the entire system fails without it? Does it mean that it's necessary as a necessary and proper? Does it mean it's necessary in order for the legislation to work? What's a legitimate government interest? What does it mean to serve a legitimate government interest? <laughs> Look at all that. See, that's the kind of problem you have with literally every single aspect of the document. This is the problem you run into in that nobody knows what the outcome's going to be. These tests are simply dreamed up. There's going to be a test for whether or not it serves a legitimate government interest. Be, I guarantee you there's all sorts of tests they've dreamed up. Three-pronged tests for that as well. And there'll be no agreement about that and the test is completely made up. How can a system like this ever be something you can know it's not. It's totally made up. There's no basis for it. See? And inside every one of these types of factors and considerations and definitions, you've got burdens of proof and presumptions. And where are those listed in the Constitution? They're nowhere. They're nowhere in Article 3. There's literally no guidance whatsoever in the Constitution, in Article 3, which is the one that empowers the Supreme Court, which is the judiciary, to let them know what they should be doing. None. There's no guidelines at all. You're telling me that people who created the greatest document ever simply left all this stuff out, left it to the courts, and now we're all getting screwed by it? I'm supposed to believe that's credible? It's not credible. See, it's not credible. This is just... A very, very strong argument that whatever the Supreme Court does does not become the law of the land. It's completely impossible to know what it means to make all laws that are necessary and proper. It's completely impossible to know what it means to do something for the general welfare. It can literally mean anything. Anybody can look at the way the so-called liberals interpret it. Where is it in any form or fashion that the court has the ability to dream up these three and four prong tests, two prong tests? Where is it? Where is the burden? See, the burden of proof is a huge deal in a case. Do you have it or does the government have it? Do you have to bring the proof or do they have to bring the proof? How much proof do you have to bring? See? So that's not just the burden, but that's the standard used to evaluate it. Is it clear and convincing? Is it overwhelming? What kind of evidence will be permitted to be heard? What will be the level of be convinced? Then you have all these issues where the Supreme Court claims all the time that great deference is shown to the federal government when it does something. Or they may be apply strict scrutiny to something. 
<laughs> they may apply something in between. It's the Goldilocks, strict scrutiny versus the middle piece, which is just right versus anything reasonably related. So you can have that. Why you apply that into every single one of all those issues I've already covered. We're only on the interstate commerce cause test. We're not on anything else. There's absolutely no way to know what's going to happen. See, there's no way to know what's going to happen. There's no controls whatsoever on the court. So with no controls at all, it's completely absurd that this people who just came out of a war for independence would somehow empower this star chamber of unelected officials and give them absolute free reign to make up anything they want and to dream all these tests up. You see, see, that's completely impossible. That's the way it actually works. People love to talk in these general principles about uh, the power of this and the rights this and my have a right and says shall not be infringed. Oh, says shall not. Well, says shall not be infringed, but infringed all the time. Says shall make no law abridging. Well, they make laws all the time abridging it. They just dream stuff up, just like it says can regulate commerce among the several states. There's absolutely a Barnum statement that could mean anything. And, of course, that's exactly how it's interpreted. But there is no guidance in the Constitution at all. None. No guidance and no way to restrict it down. See, there's no way to restrict it down. We're told it's a document of express powers. That's why they list them all out in Article 1, Section 8. But what is the point of having so-called express powers when none of the express powers can be understood to be anything limited? (laughs) What does it mean? It means anything they want it to mean. So they put the Ninth and Tenth Amendments in that supposedly say anything that's not expressly granted is reserved. Okay, so that's more indication that it should be very strictly interpreted. But there's no legislative bar. There's no constitutional requirement. There's no guidance to the Supreme Court. There's no limitation on their not simply strictly interpreting it. And as I've just showed you, there's tons and tons of times where the vast majority of the stuff that the Congress does They show them great deference, great deference. It's almost impossible to get this stuff overturned. I've explained to you in another show about the spending power authority, where that's really where so much of it gets done. They're supposedly allowed to spend on anything they want, anything they think. Okay, well, how is it limited then? See, it's it's not limited. So what does it mean to say it's limited? It's a meaningless statement. And so structurally, I'm showing you that if you were negotiating a document like this, this document would have to be thousands and thousands and thousands of pages long. And even at that, there'd be absolutely no way to ever nail it down because all of these statements about strict scrutiny, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to apply strict scrutiny? How do you go about applying strict scrutiny? They always dream up a test that shows what you're supposed to look at. And every one of those tests is also packed full of Barnum statements. See, so there really isn't any way to negotiate anything like this. You can never actually have a government that's expressed limited powers like this. The way it was supposed to be controlled was through the fact that the Supreme Court was certainly not issuing opinions that then became the law of the land that what would happen is the Supreme Court would issue an opinion. If it made some sense, other courts would use it. If it didn't make sense, they'd throw it out. But you would have this sort of mishmash of laws all over. And ultimately, the ultimate way this whole thing gets enforced is through jury nullification, which they've completely wiped out, and the ability for the states to simply say, this is in no way what we agreed to and we're out of here. 
But again, the federal government just dreamed up more bullshit, went down, declared a war on them, and, and killed all the people that tried to do that. And so as a structural matter, it's not there. If you are going to use basic contract law to interpret a document like this, a call to Constitution with all these absurd things in it, with just endless Barnum statements, this is not limited to the Constitution. All contracts involve this. If a party is supposed to engage in good faith, what does that mean? What does it mean? What evidence are you going to show? What's the burden of proof? What's the standard you're going to use? What does it mean? <laughs> See? It's not just because it's a constitution. It's because this is every kind of legal document. So anybody who was in there negotiating it wasn't just trying to interpret whether or not and how it would be interpreted. They had to decide what to put in there. Putting in this entire concept of regulating commerce among the several states. Putting in this clause that says it shall be necessary and proper. None of these things even had to be in there. There's lots of things people suggested and they didn't get put in there. I've showed you how the legal tender issues, they were discussed. They weren't agreed to. They weren't put in as an express provision. Yet the court cobbled together all these different things through these implied uh, concepts that are taking disparate different pieces of different clauses, no different than a lot of people do this biblical interpretation where you take a statement from this place and a statement from that chapter and this verse and that chapter, and you cobble them together and you say, see, this is what that actually was meant. It's the same thing they do with the Supreme Court with these implied powers like the legal tender laws. They take, well, they can do some commerce and they can coin money and they can do necessary and proper and they can regulate this. And, they can, and therefore, all these things together create the legal tender laws. Okay, well, th that's just completely absurd. See, in contract interpretation, to the extent you're going to even try to interpret a contract, there is one very hard and fast rule. It applies in all contracts. And that is, if there is ambiguity in the document, then it is strictly construed against the party who drew up the document. Well, in this case, the party that draws up the document is the government, not the people. They're asked to ratify it. They're presented the document. So to the extent that it's supposed to be limited and expressed, which the Ninth and Tenth Amendments make clear, and the Article I, Section 8 enumeration of the powers themselves makes clear, any possible interpretation of this document by the Supreme Court should have to strictly interpret it against the government, meaning that in every single kind of case, whenever the government attempted to do something, if it couldn't, through clear and convincing evidence, show the document itself clearly provides for the express power to be exercised, then every single time it would have to be unconstitutional they can do it. But when you put things like necessary and proper, general welfare, miscellaneous crap like that in there, you've made sure that can never happen. So you can make sure that can never, ever happen because nobody can ever interpret what that means. But even so, the Supreme Court doesn't do that. It doesn't use strict standards and clear and convincing evidence and constantly forcing the government to come forward. It flips it almost every single time and makes people have to come forward and prove that what the government's doing is not proper. <laughs> and that's completely flipping the entire construct on its head from what any other kind of legal document like this would ever be interpreted as. And how do we get this? Well, we get it because the Supreme Court's done it. Well, as soon as the Supreme Court starts making mistakes like this, and you can call them mistakes or you can call it a plan, I think it's pretty clearly a plan when you look at the uh, document, um, it's over. And when you add in the idea that it's somehow the law of the land, you, you, there's nothing you can do with this. See, there's nothing you can do with this because once you start changing these kinds of things and acknowledging that these prong tests and everything else can exist and there's no guidance whatsoever in Article 3, it's going to never work. 
See, it's never, ever, ever going to work. It's not possible for it to work. It's not a matter of getting the right people in there. Impossible to ever have agreement. The justices themselves don't agree. And then once you have a test, say the four-pronged test is crap. Once it's created, say, in a 5-4 decision where the dissent also disagreed with the pronged test being created, um, well, now the next court doesn't even get to argue about the four-pronged test being wrong. You have to use it because that's the law. (laughs) All right, so you've got something that nobody agreed to and is probably wrong and has absolutely no constitutional basis created out of thin air with standards and burdens that make no sense that are simply plucked out of thin air. And then you start applying them in ways that there's absolutely no structure except the court itself applies the structure, which again, nobody can agree to and the justices don't agree to. See, that's the way it actually works in every kind of case. Every kind of legal case is like this. This is why it's completely ludicrous, the idea that the Supreme Court, when it issues an opinion, becomes somehow the law of the land. There'd be no reason for an amendment process. There'd be no possible way you could ever have a document that only has a limited express government and then have that in there and then not have any guidance at all for the court. See, nobody who's a lawyer or thinks like a lawyer, has ever seen the way cases actually get interpreted, could ever be bamboozled by the utter nonsense that's in this document and claim that it could ever do what people think, what they're told supposedly exists in the Federalist Papers. Why do we look at the Federalist Papers at all? Where does that come from? Is there something in the Constitution, in Article 3, that says that uh, in interpreting this document, we should look to the Federalist Papers? No. Does it say that we must look to the notes taken by somebody at the Constitutional Convention? No, it doesn't. It doesn't say any of that. And why not? Well, because those things are just as full of error and, and mistakes and Barnum statements as everything else. See? This stuff is not a science. It's not going to work. It's always going to expand because of the nature of a compromise. And so I'm trying to show you that it has nothing to do with the people. If you say it shall not be infringed in the Second Amendment, and you're a believer like me, that that language is as clear as it can be made. And I've had ChatGPT admit it, that there is no language they could have picked that would have been stronger. Okay, but yet we still have all these different regulations and restrictions and infringements. How? Well, because the Supreme Court's dreamed them up. But if you believe, like I do, that that's as strong as you can get, and it's a simple fact, good luck coming up with language that's stronger, then any possible compromise is impossible. What does compromise on that look like? What does it look like? I say they don't have any authority to do it. Well, you say they should be able to protect uh, children from unsafe guns. Okay. Well, what does a compromise on that look like? It looks like me giving ground and letting them do something. Because I say they're not entitled to do anything. So they're always taking the position they're entitled to do something. So any compromise is simply moves towards them. It doesn't move towards me. There's no way to compromise and move towards me, which is that they don't have the authority. That's why all constitutional so-called authority constantly expands. If once it's set that the interstate commerce means they can regulate X, and I say, that's not even true. They're not entitled to do that. Well, that's now the Supreme Court said that. How would I compromise that? How would I compromise it? They say it's X plus one. And I say it's not even X. (laughs) Now, how do we compromise? How do we compromise? We go to X minus one. Well, that's, you're going to be taking power away from the government. They're, see, they're never going to allow that. It's not going to work because the Supreme Court's already spoken. 
So all compromise always moves towards giving the government more and more power because every compromise is structured in the same way, which is I don't believe they have the authority and they shouldn't have any more authority. And the other side is saying that they should have more authority, should be able to spend more money or should be able to do more things. And I say they shouldn't. How does that get compromised? How? It gives them more authority. (laughs) It's the only way the compromise can flow in that structure. And that's why it always grows. See, that's why it always grows. And that's why every one of these analysis that you hear is an absurdity from the constitutional conservatives, because all they're doing is repeating this thing that they're not explaining to people that it can never work. That the entire analysis that the courts provided is completely made up and nobody agrees to and has nothing to do with the Constitution. Nothing whatsoever to do with the Constitution. (laughs) I mean, how much clearer can I make that? Hopefully this point is extremely clear that it's not about having the wrong people. The so-called right people at the Constitutional Convention, can you ever get any more than the so-called right people than the people who were there? How could you ever get more of the so-called right people than that? But they didn't agree. (laughs) They didn't agree. So you're never going to get agreement. Okay, so once you're never going to get agreement, the system will always work out like I've just explained. Always work out like I've just explained. It doesn't matter what you write down. You could never write down a document that would be sufficiently complex to take in all the different things and all the different tests and standards and burdens that would have to be used in each and it can never happen. Like I said, the document would be thousands and thousands and thousands of pages long in order to explain it and anticipate it. (laughs) And even then, every single thing in that document could then ultimately be reinterpreted in some way that doesn't work. This is the feringification of everything. This is the way the law is used. This is why the law is a weapon. This is why the only law that can ever work is natural law distributed through jury nullification, where the individual people decide. Yes, you get bad cases. Of course you do, but they only apply then. But if you have people who are instructed that this is the reality, this is the way it actually works, and what you have to do is take the situation and try to do what's just and fair, not stick to these strict, absurd four-pronged tests and three-pronged tests and shifting burden this with the strict scrutiny that and the reasonable interpretation this and the any reasonable inference drawn. That doesn't can never work, and it's not the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. There's not one single piece of that in the Constitution, yet that's the entire analysis. That's the entire game, all played inside this completely fanciful, made-up deal. You see that? And see, this would be the situation when the document was supposedly ratified. It's a total and complete impossibility to ratify it. Because you can't know what it is. And all ratification is, is just consent. And consent always has to be voluntary and knowing. And since there's impossible to know what's in it. See, now Spooner, his arguments are great. And that's why I did his essay. I love all of his arguments. But you have to remember that he made those arguments. Very specific reason he was making those arguments. And they weren't to show that the Constitution was utter shit. Even though that, of course, is what he shows. And, of course, that's the truth. The purpose of the essay was to give the people who were being threatened with treason for fighting on the side of the South defenses that they could use. Just like when they tried, considered trying Robert E. Lee for treason. And they basically just had the case stop and go away. Because it's crap, because they were going to prove exactly what I proved on Chad GBT. There was no treason, because there was no consent, because there is no liability, because you're not bound to any of it. But what existed with Spooner's writing is that nobody alive had had any opportunity 
to consent to the document. His arguments were much more skewed towards the fact that, look, even if someone wanted to consent to that, and even though nobody ever signed it, certainly nobody alive ever did. And so he approached it through a very methodical, contractual, legal analysis, and he blew it apart. But the point I'm making is take Spooner a step further, and it shows you that it's impossible that the document ever could have been ratified by anybody because nobody could have ever known what was going to be in there, how it would be interpreted. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, Legal Man? (laughs) Well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now, let's get back to the show. But the point I'm making is take Spooner a step further, and it shows you that it's impossible that the document ever could have been ratified by anybody because nobody could have ever known what was going to be in there, how it would be interpreted. And the interpretation takes it from being a document with express limited powers to the government to one where nobody has any idea and the powers aren't express and limited. So they can mean anything. And when you have a document like that as a matter of law, there's no legal theory under which anybody could ever agree to a document like that. And ultimately, that's what most documents are if you really get down and start looking at them. That's why the documents get longer and longer and longer. I've read lots and lots and lots of contracts, okay? They're shit. It's why when I draw contracts, I don't really worry about these issues. There's no point. Because the reality in a contract is if both parties actually want to reach an agreement and actually intend on cooperating and fulfilling their agreements, then it doesn't matter what the contract says. See, it doesn't matter what the contract says. And if one of the parties has no interest and is acting in bad faith, then there's absolutely nothing you could put in that document that's going to prevent them from acting in bad faith and taking into litigation and potentially winning. Nothing. For all the reasons I've just showed you, all that elaborate contract drafting and everything else, the vast majority, it's a complete waste of time. And it's put in in these business situations, which I've been involved in many different times, mostly for optics and for people who don't have any idea. And lots of times it's put in there because uh, both of the parties may actually be acting in bad faith and they're hoping that they can slip some stuff in there that allows them to get out of it. It's not two parties actually operating in good faith who intend on attempting to try to fulfill the contract. And that's all the Constitution is. And that's my point, is I'm trying to show you that it's basically impossible to draft a document that so-called empowers a government and ever be able to keep the government in check. And especially impossible when you add in the Supreme Court nonsense. And that's why in the next episode I do about it, I'm going to show you that the argument that you can't possibly ratify a document like this completely and totally destroys the concept that the document ever could have been properly ratified. And since it could never have been properly ratified, 
it's impossible that the government could ever be legitimate. Because you have to be able to know what the document means in order to properly ratify it. If you don't know what it means and you can't be known, which is what the situation is here, it can't be known what the document is actually going to empower. Therefore, you cannot possibly give knowing voluntary consent to it. Because you might have a liberal, in effect, voting to ratify it, thinking it means what we have today with Charlie Schumer just spending anything he wants. And then you may have one of these so-called constitutional conservatives on the other side, imagining you're supposed to look at the Federalist Papers and strictly interpret this and that. And that's what they're ratifying. Well, they're ratifying two completely different documents. And that right there shows you there's no meeting of the minds and therefore none of the ratifications proper. And so I'm showing you as a practical matter the way the document actually operates, gets interpreted, the legal principles that should apply and that none of them apply. None of them really ever could apply. But at least if we were trying, at least if we were trying where everything was strictly interpreted against the government in every form or fashion, every single prong test, you didn't need it. Every single burden was against the government. Every single time they tried to do something, the court was crushing them. Okay, at least we'd be trying then. But literally, we have absolutely nothing like that. We have the opposite of it. We have the opposite of it. And the problem is constitutional conservatives and media and academia, they don't tell people this truth. What they do is they accept this preposterous narrative and ignore all these basic legal principles and problems that I'm showing you. See, These are the fundamental problems that exist. And it's not a matter of getting the right people. It's not a matter of strictly interpreting it. Because even saying you're going to strictly interpret it itself is simply a Barnum statement. Nobody knows what that means. Your strict interpretation is not the same as mine. It's not. It's impossible to ever get agreement like this across the board over many years. It's impossible. It will always change. And now that I've showed you how compromise will always work in a document like this, when you're talking about whether they have the power or don't have the power, the people who say they don't have the power have to compromise with the people who say they do have the power. And that compromise always means that you will then grant some amount of power. Now you've got a new baseline. Now, next time it comes up, they say they actually have more power than that. And you said, no, they don't. This is all the power they have. How do you compromise? (laughs) You give them more power. That's it. So it's always the same. So the idea of compromise, which is jammed down everybody's throats, which constitutional conservatives have no problem with, and which the complete and total controlled opposition jokers call themselves Republicans and conservatives in government, are all on board with. And I'm explaining to you in very simple terms why it is that documents like this don't work, never will work, and that the system will never do what you said and has absolutely nothing to do with voting, putting aside all the nonsense about voting, and that nobody could have ever agreed to it. It's impossible that it ever could have been actually validly legally ratified in any form or fashion because nobody could ever know what anybody was voting on. See? And that's a hugely important point. That's just completely ignored. And in fact, the situation would exist even if you didn't have this absurd Supreme Court so-called authority to simply write opinions down and then make them into the so-called law of the land. It's just massively worse with that. Just massively worse with that. And there's no possibility that anybody who's drafting a document like this, who's a lawyer or trained in the law, like all those people were who were drafting it, who were told is the most brilliant document ever created. 
They would have known that, look, if you have a Supreme Court, he starts doing this, you have to give the Supreme Court a lot of instruction and guidance in Article 3 about what they're entitled to do. Certainly, they're not going to be able to rule in a non-unanimous fashion. You'd never leave it so open that the Congress can just put whoever they want in there. They sit for life. Uh, There's no standard for them whatsoever. There's no number. None of those things would ever be agreed to. Those things would be so heavily negotiated and explained and discussed. And then it would become obvious that there's absolutely no way to actually put handcuffs on them. So there's no way to put handcuffs on them. Even if you're not going to say they're the law of the land, there's no way to put handcuffs on them. So you're just going to get all these horrible decisions. The idea that anybody in their right mind would ever agree to this, that they would then be the law of the land with no restraints, guidance, nothing. It's just, it's all so preposterous. Anybody who is a lawyer who gives it any real objective thought will see that I'm right. The problem is that lawyers are never taught this, and so they never think about it because it's not the way the law works, and all they're trying to do is make a living. And constitutional lawyers, they're all a bunch of frauds. They're all out there just reinterpreting constitutional law, and all constitutional law is is the made-up shit by the Supreme Court I just explained to you. None of it's actually constitutional law. It's just something somebody said about constitutional law. Normally, something somebody said about constitutional law based upon something else someone else said about another piece of the constitutional law that a bunch of other people disagree with that may or may not even exist. And you just build on that over and over and over again. There's nothing about that that's holy or foundational or anything else. And it's completely, totally impossible anybody ever agreed to it because it's not something that could ever be agreed to. You see? See how structurally it actually fits together and starts working? And that's how you can know. It doesn't matter what they're talking about in the press. It doesn't matter what the case is about. Once you understand the way these types of things are examined with the prong tests and the Barnum statements and the burdens and the shifting standards and the evidentiary this and that and clear and convincing this and the overwhelming that and the strict scrutiny this and the burden of proof and the presumption of... uh, legitimacy this. Once you understand that those are where all the actual mischief occurs, then you can see that the system can never work. It'd be impossible to draw up such a document. Totally impossible to draw it up. And once you have this, hundreds of millions of people, now this is just, it's so preposterous at this point, it's hard to even get your mind around how dumb it is. At least before when it was just three million people and really only a a couple tens of thousands of kind of white guys uh, who held property, kind of making the decision. Okay, there was a lot of homogeneity in that. They might have been able to agree to some stuff, right, maybe. Now, it's utterly ludicrous. You're never going to get any kind of agreement. But now you understand why I have such incredible contempt for these people who run around and pretend to be constitutional conservatives telling me about what's in the Constitution when all they do is talk about what somebody else said was in the Constitution that it was based upon some three-pronged test they made up. It's ludicrous and it's absurd, And it's an insult to my intelligence. And anybody can see how the system will work, does work, and has worked. And it is absolutely nothing to do with constitutional conservatism. Yet they continue to keep the people snowed, believing that you can get freedom through a document like this. You can keep the government limited through a document like this. That can never happen. See, that can never happen. And once the government won't let you leave, like they did in the Civil War, it's over. See, it's completely over. And that's why it's just gone exponential since then. And anyone who's interested needs to read uh, John Calhoun's uh, disquisition on government, where he explains the way the checks and balances were supposed to work. But of course, he's a racist. Oh, slave owner, racist. You can't listen to him. Well, read his uh, book. Read his essay. You'll see. Yeah, it's full of this old archaic, uh, arcane 
weird language in it, but his analysis is dead on. It's dead on. And it's the kind of analysis I'm telling you about. That once you see that ultimately all these kind of contractual arrangements, they're based upon good faith by the parties trying to actually reach the same goal. And as soon as you don't have that, it's not going to work. And there's no amount of language that can help. And the only actual solution is that the people get to decide at jury trials and or once it gets bad enough, the states just get to voluntarily leave. That's what puts the pressure on. But all of that has been swept away. And so there's absolutely no possible way to keep them under control at this point. It hasn't been for 150 years. So... I wanted to make this show because I think it's helpful for people to understand that Spooner's not just right. He is dead right. But there's all sorts of other stuff that makes it completely and totally impossible that the Constitution has any kind of authority and that it could never have been ratified. It doesn't matter that you didn't have the authority to ratify it for other people who've never been born. That's absurd. It doesn't matter that you didn't sign it. It's more fundamental than that. The contract, the agreement, nobody can know what the terms are. See, nobody can know what the terms are you're supposedly ratifying. That is a legal impossibility to ratify. There's no part of the law of any sort. I don't care if you want to believe in the stupid Constitution of 1871. Or all, it doesn't matter. The problems I'm pointing out are far more fundamental than that. There's no basis for the organic Constitution. Nobody can tell you what it means. And it's not a problem that the drafters made a mistake. It's an impossibility. You cannot draft a document that would ever do it <laughs> for all the reasons I've shown. And to then turn around and tell me it's the greatest document ever created by these brilliant men who supposedly fell for this scam. That's just laughable, people. That's completely laughable. I mean, truly, any just most reasonable contract lawyer with a few years experience knows that you're never going to be able to draft anything like this. That's going to be in any way enforceable. <laughs> no one's going to know what it means. No one's going to know what it means. So, all right. So there you go. I wanted to put that out there. Hopefully that makes sense to people and they have a new view. And now anytime you want, you can go hear a so-called constitutional scholar talking about some stupid part of the Constitution. And you'll immediately be able to identify all the errors that he's making and how wrong they are, how it's a complete and total snow job. You'll be able to see it immediately. If you hadn't get it, then you need to listen to the show a few times. Because the answers are there, people. They are. And if people understood this, they'd never be snowed into this voting nonsense and the belief in the document, the brilliance, the genius, and going and fighting and dying for freedom and the stupid piece of crap government. They'd never be doing any of that. People wouldn't be controllable. And that's why they're lied to, so they can be controlled. That's why the entire system brainwashed, and so they can be controlled, so they can be milked, so they can be run like tax cattle. That's it. That's the reason. (laughs) <laughs> that's the whole reason small group behind the scenes they all know everything I've just told you it's all used against you people all used against you until people figure that out or are willing to accept it there's really nothing that can happen you know I've given people jury nullification maybe we can try to fight it I don't know but you know once you understand how fundamental the structural problems are and how impossible they are to actually fix in a situation like this then you start to understand why I am Uh, an anarchist and why I believe these governments are all totally illegitimate. And I know for a fact that the people who support these governments behind the scenes, they all know it. They know it's just a laughable scam. They pull on the foolish peasants who fall for this crap, brainwashed nonsense, flag waving, running around, defending freedom. Just fools, complete fools. Hey, I was fooled for years. I was fooled for years and years. Until I got the internet, I could not put the pieces together. But once I've had the internet, there's just no excuse, people. 
there's no excuse. <laughs> so, so that's it. That's the show. If you want to follow me, you can. I'm Legal Man at U.S. Crime Review on Twitter. They've got me fantastically suppressed there. It's really hilarious that people uh, talk about that place being a free speech platform. It's really hilarious. And the movie Jones Plantation, where I play Mr. Jones, a story by Larkin Rose. It's a fantastic allegory about going from chattel slavery to debt slavery. And I play the kind of piece of shit, drunk plantation owner. And we just expose the fraud of this whole scam of the voting and uh, the being free and the fake money system. We expose it all. And we've got a screening coming out on June 3rd in Phoenix. Anyone who wants information should just go to the Jones Plantation kind of uh, search and you'll find it. There's a place you can buy tickets. And we're going to be at Pork Fest on June 21st. So if you're going to be there, go check it out. And at some point around that time or somewhat soon thereafter, it'll get released digitally and people will be able to purchase it online or watch it in some form or fashion at their own home on their TV. So exactly when that's going to happen, I don't know. Exactly how that's going to happen, I'm not sure because I'm not the expert and that's something for the other people to determine. But it's coming out soon. I hope people support that movie because if they do, we'll make more of them. And it's a movie like no movie that's ever been made before. I think people are going to enjoy it. I hope they like the way I played Mr. Jones, we put a lot of memeable stuff in there, and I think we might open some people's minds with that movie. We'll see. And I want to thank the people in Patreon who support my show. They have a lot of integrity. I tell people stuff that nobody else tells them. The vast majority of lawyers, they simply don't know anything about what I'm saying because they're so brainwashed into the Constitution because that's how you make money. And even constitutional so-called scholars and lawyers, you make money and you become famous by living inside this fake narrative they've created about the Supreme Court and its decisions and analyzing them and navel-gazing at the four-pronged test and arguing about it. It's just all made up, but they're no help to people. And so the stuff I tell people, you just can't find anyplace else. And I know it's valuable and I take a lot of chances telling people. And so I appreciate the people who support my show financially. You show a lot of integrity. I really do appreciate that. You kick skin in the game because I know I've put a hell of a lot in. And beyond that, I don't think there's much else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time for Legal Man.